This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, good afternoon, evening, morning, whenever you happen to be listening to this uh, little uh, episode of My Chelsea, which is becoming my favourite time of the week of, of a Friday when I get to talk to some great friends, uh, but people whose uh, you know, support of Chelsea completely, completely wallops mine into the oblivion because they're so much more knowledgeable and they've been going so much longer than me and I love them all for it. And my next guest is somebody that we've actually been hearing a lot of uh, recently, uh, particularly on the, the Monday version of the Chelsea Fancast, because, of course, we've been doing this fantastically fun thing, which is the 50 years of Chelsea. And uh, he's been our, our kind of resident expert for the last two weeks, and very thankful I am for it. Uh, it is, of course, Mark Meehan, who, uh, to remind you, is a, a well-known Chelsea author, apart from everything else, but he's uh, authored Eddie Mac, Eddie Mac, Blue Tomorrow, uh, he's also a current writer and has been for years and years and years of CFC UK, and he was the former editor of uh, the precursor to that, which was uh, the fanzine called Chelsea Independent, and of course he's been a season ticket holder down at Chelsea since 1978. How about those apples? Uh, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome yet again Mark Meehan. How are you, Mark? I'm okay, Chid, and how are you this evening? I'm all right. I'm all right. End of the week always feels quite good. Although, of course, the distinction between the end of the week and the weekends is a bit blurred these days, isn't it? It is, it is indeed. One day just blurs into the other. The other thing I've, I should have mentioned at the start as well is I actually used to write for the official Chelsea magazine as well until a certain club chairman by the name of Mr. Ken Bates Barton. <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> well, well, maybe we'll get to hear that. You never, never maybe, know. Maybe, maybe well, I'm sure he may crop up over the next hour or so. Well, I, I hope so for one. Now, um, this, of course, is, is all about, for those people who might not have listened to it before, I can't believe that they haven't by now, but... Really, it's an excuse for me to have a chat with some mates, but also to really go on a a little bit of a journey through their history of supporting Chelsea. Uh, And uh, we'll kick it off, as we always do, by asking Mark how you became a Chelsea fan. Uh, I have to give credit um, to my dad on this. Um, He wasn't really into football, if I'm honest with you. If I asked him when he was alive if he supported any particular team, 
Uh, he'll probably said Manchester United. He came over to London in sort of the late 1950s and probably like many people of Irish descent, uh, attached United because of George Best. Um, but how, you know, he led me to be a Chelsea fan. Well, he worked, if people know Northwest London, um, there used to be um, a huge um, industry called Smith Industries that were responsible for sort of like car components. I think they made watch repairs as well. And he worked in Smith Industries, I think, from, for many a year. Um, and if you think about it, this is the 1970s, it probably, it probably wasn't unusual for people to have more than one job, you know, trying to make, make ends meet, pay the bills. And one of his work colleagues, um, as well as working at Smith during the day, um, he worked for a company called, I think it was King & Jarrett, and they're based in Queen's Park in northwest London. And King and Jarrett, I think, bound the Chelsea programme back in the days. That, you know, that lovely, and I'll, I'll put a picture up just for Chisbed of it, that small little sort of programme we used to do in the 1970s, which had so much reading in it. And on Friday, the 23rd of January, he came home from work on a Friday evening and produced this programme. And it was the match day programme uh, for the forthcoming game on the Saturday, which happened to be a fourth round FA Cup tie, Chelsea versus Burnley. Now, I had, at that stage, no affiliation to any particular team. I knew England had won the World Cup in 1966. I knew a World Cup was coming. So, yeah, I just absorbed that programme that Friday evening and that just that one of those great life coincidences. Um, the following day, um, obviously, that game actually ended up being on match of the day. Um, so, having read the programme... From cover to cover, and it is. It's a you know. Even now, I've re reread it, uh, and there's a brilliant piece in there where um, John Boyle and Tommy Baldwin, who will be well known to all Chelsea fans, and we might talk about Tommy Baldwin a bit later. They uh, were advertising in that program uh, a luxury flat they'd purchased in Alicante, and wanted to see if any Chelsea fans would like to rent it off them you know for a holiday holiday <laughs> home can you imagine that I now know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know you know sort of like Cesar Aspel Equator you know offering us a timeshare in Marbella or something That's like that mad isn't it it's just it, absolutely it's brilliant you know uh, so uh, there's so much reading in there and they used to do a regular feature in there on who the youth team players were at the time so every single home game there was a different youth player and in that one I just it always struck in my head he was called Tim Hayden you know, we had a player called Tim playing for us. And I think the only Tim we ever played for us was uh, Timmy Hales. Um, and in the youth team at that time, who was in the same side as Tim, was Gary Locke, Gary Stanley, you know, Ian Britton, you know, some of the players we, we talked about on the fan cast the other night. So interested in the game, obviously stayed up late. Yeah, I was seven years of age to watch match of the day. Chelsea took the lead 2-0, two, two so all good. I didn't know the score. I'd done my likely lads impersonation. I'd you know, stayed away from um, the score. And I think it was um, John Hollins and Peter Oscar that got the goals for Chelsea. So one foot in the fifth round. And then Martin Dobson. Older fans will remember Martin Dobson. Played for Burnley and also went on to play for Everton. He got two late goals for Burnley to force a replay. So my first introduction to Chelsea, um, yeah, immediate disappointments. You know, 2-0 up, end, end up 2-2. Two, two. Um, but then, you know, the following week, we had the replay at Turf Moor, listen to it on the radio. Uh, and again, give a plug for Mark Worrell's book. If you haven't read Liquidator, both the fourth round replay um, and the fourth round game that got me into Chelsea are featured you know, in Mark's book, Liquidator. Chelsea won the replay, uh, went on from there, 
um, to get to the FA Cup final, beat Dirty Leeds in the final. Um, so I can always say I wasn't a glory hunter. I was already supporting Chelsea before we won the Cup. <laughs> In well, how about that? I, it's really funny you mentioned that Burnley game, actually, Mark. So I, I've done a piece, a mass, an epic piece this week for Football London, uh, basically on the what I consider to be my own personal kind of choices, but my the most important matches in Chelsea's history, or the matches that changed Chelsea's history, would be more accurate. And the first one I've chosen is the replay of that match. So when we went up to Turf Moor. Uh, four days later, and we're losing 1-0, thanks to Ralph Coates, until Peter Peter Hausman turned up and did his thing, you know. So uh, just fantastic that uh, I, I kind of, basically, if he hadn't have done that, then we might never have won the FA Cup, and I think Chelsea's history would have been completely fundamentally different. Well, well I've ended up being a Burnley fan. Oh, no, probably, I, I doubt it, yeah. Uh, I think the other thing as well... You know, it was just that, that blue kit. You know, that was one of the early memories as well. It was just like that playing in that blue kit. You know, just, you know, it, 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 even then it was always my favourite colour blue. So I, I, I think, you know, it, it was destiny that I'd end up being a Chelsea fan. Like, you know, you know, so I thank you, Dad, for that. You know, God rest his soul. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, what a great way to start. And I think what's interesting for me, you know, we know, we both know so many, so many friends who uh, basically... Uh, you know, we're, we're, you know, second, third, fourth generation Chelsea, you name it, were taken to their dads at every game, and I, I always find it really interesting to hear a different story from that because I think that that kind of you know enriches it uh, a lot. Now, um, what was the first game that you actually made it to? Uh, first, first Chelsea game, uh, first game I actually made it to um, was the same season as nineteen seventy. Um, Caught and go to QPR Chelsea. Um, so my dad probably thought I was too young. So he took me to a fifth round uh, FA Amateur Cup game uh, at my local team, Hendon. And they were playing a team called Walton and Hersham, who I think have since gone out of business. And I think part of the reason he took me to that game is Walton and Hersham had a player playing for them called Kieran Summers. And my dad worked with Kieran Summers' dad. So there was always a sort of somebody new at work, you know, getting me into football. And that's the only reason we went along to Hendon, because he knew some bloke at work whose son was playing in the game. Um, but I kept nagging him and sort of like eventually he relented. So he took me to a Chelsea game the following season. And it was towards the end of the season. So this is our 1970-71 season where we ended up winning the Cup Winners' Cup. Um, and we were playing Coventry at home. I think we probably took the view it would have been a smaller crowd, you know, rather than a, a Liverpool or Manchester United at home. Um, and my favourite players already at that stage um, were Peter Osgood and Ian Hutchinson. You know, we talked about Ian Hutchinson the other night on the fan cast. Just loved Ian Hutchinson as a player. You know, you know, never say die attitude. Tremendous work rate. You know, really put himself in places where you know, he ended up, you know, get, getting injured. Um, so looking forward to my first game, seeing both of those players star for Chelsea, and neither of them played. Um, um, the forward line that day was, um, people remember a South African striker we had called Derek Smethurst. So Derek Smethurst was up front with a player called Peter Feely. Um, so there'll be many people here listening to this tonight who probably have never heard of Peter Feely. He was a young player we signed from non-league Enfield in the 1970s. I think it might have been Peter Feely's debut from, from memory. 
Um, so a bit of a disappointment. My two heroes weren't playing and who were these two imposters uh, up front for Chelsea? But lo and behold, um, Chelsea won 2-1 and the goals, no, no surprise of a guessing, were scored by Peter Feely and Derek Smethurst. Who would not register very highly. I mean, I know a lot of, I mean, you know, I think a lot of people would be struggling with Peter Feely. Uh, Derek Smethurst, uh, I, 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 you know, I I, rem- I don't remember because I wasn't around then, but I was aware of him. He he's often psycho Phil, my great buddy, and Smithy's great buddy. If you remember, uh, mm. like you, is a, is a fan of a Chelsea quiz. He quite, quite often will WhatsApp a quiz to you, and he and it's always his one of his favourite questions: Who was Chelsea's first South African player? Derek Smethurst. Every Smethurst, time. Yeah. So there you go. And I, I think I think the only other South African player would have been what Colin Viljern. Colin Viljern, yeah. And Roy Wegley. Yeah, Roy Wegley. From- well, yeah, kind of. He couldn't make up his mind whether he was American or South African, really, could he? Paul? Yeah, no, I thought he was South African, but yeah, he, I know, he, I know, he played in America, but yeah, Derek wiggly, Smithers, wiggly, 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 wiggly. Um, I think Derek Smithers was in the side. Either Osgood might have been injured, yeah, um, or banned, did, or, or banned because he had. I think he was back from his ban because he? he had his ban because he. Um, because the Coventry game, I think from memory, was played in between the Man City games, which were, I think, the semi-final of the Cup Winners' Cup. Yeah. And Smethers, you know, played a key part, you know, in, in the semi-finals. So it may very well be, you know, you know, they were either resting Osgood or he might have been injured because Smethers did play a few games around then. But Peter Feely, he only played um, four, four games for Chelsea. Um, and um, he scored another goal in, in the 72-3 season as well, but I, I can't remember who it was. Well, we sold him to Bournemouth. Um, so, you know, four appearances, two goals, very good goal ratio. Um, but, yeah, um, handy in a quiz question, like Peter Feely, you know, who did we sign from Enfield in the 1970s? Uh, that, that has stood me in good stead down the years when I, I chucked it in as a quiz question. I love a quiz. I, well, I mean, and I'm quite rubbish at it. Whenever I do a quiz, I just hope to God that Martin Wickham's, uh, you know, in the quiz with me because he, he normally ensures that I win, which is kind of... I mean, in fact, I, I can't show you because my camera won't stretch that far, but up on that uh, bookshelf there is the uh, Chelsea Supporters Trust official quiz champions trophy, which, uh, as we've not had one since I won it for the second time, together with Martin, I hasten to add, re- remains in situ in Chidge Towers until they <laughs> renew the quiz. <laughs> They're not having it back, basically. That's the bottom line. Talking about quizzes, like when the club had its centenary in 2005, they had a supporters quiz where you could put a team in. And I think they ran it for a couple of years. And DJ um, organised a, a team and I was in DJ's side. And each table that night um, had a ex-Chelsea player yeah. uh, on their table. And there was an extra player left over. So we had two extra extra players on ours. And we had um, Clive Walker and Graham Wilkins. Um, and I think it was me, DJ, I think Neil Beard was there. I think Smithy might be there on our, our team as well. And we got to the final round. And I think we were ahead by one point. And if you've watched Question of Sport, um, you always have the mystery guests you know, where they do different That's camera right, yeah. angles. Um, and the last last question in the quiz, so the real tiebreaker, um, they had someone dress up as Stamford. So you're trying to guess who this person is, and there's about 10 teams there. And Clive Walker leans over and whispers to us and goes, it was me. <laughs> 
so we write down sort of like Clive, Clive Walker. So clearly when it comes to the end of the quiz and they announce the scores of all the teams, I think we've won by two points or something. And that's the, that's the quiz question that's won us the competition. But it's best, like Clive's on our team. So he just had the best inside knowledge. Brilliant. Uh, talking of uh, players who are, who, are, who are good to have on a quiz, uh, you know, if you ever want a good ringer for certainly in the period of the 80s, well, I'll, I'll, it's Kerry Dixon. I spoke to him on the phone this week and he, we were just having a chat about football and he was his, his knowledge of his time at Chelsea is in, he can remember, I swear to God, every goal he scored. Yeah. I mean, it's encyclopedic and it's kind of really He's odd. Incredible. I, I did an interview with Kerry and we'd also had chats with some of the other players from that time. Um, and Kelvin Barker and I, I think, you know, we were chatting with Colin Pates and John Bump said, and we're going, what about that game then? And like, you, yeah. And I couldn't remember a thing. So when we were chatting with Kerry, you know, Kerry didn't just tell you the goals he scored. He tell you the goals he missed, but also the goals he made for everybody else as well. His memory of that period is absolutely superb. I take my hat off to him. Yeah, he's quite remarkable uh, in more ways than one. But as I said, what's, what astonishes me is his encyclopedic memory. Now, I mean, talk, we've been talking about some great players here, but I mean, who, who are your favourite players growing up, uh, Mark? As I mentioned earlier, obviously, before I went to a game, it was Peter Osgood and Ian Hutchinson, and that, that carried forward when I was going to Chelsea. Also say, you know, loved Alan Hudson, loved Peter Benetti, like everybody else. Yeah, when you were down the park playing football, you know, everyone did their Peter, Peter Benetti impersonation <laughs> and I was so different. And then as I got older, I started going with my mates um, and we talked about it this week. Ray Wilkins and Jock Finiston, absolute idols for me. You know, lo- loved them both to bits. And then, you know, when we were doing Eddie Mac and we had a lunch one day with Ray and Jock and having that just fun bit where Ray was saying, who was your favourite player? Yeah, and he's saying, please, 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 Mark, don't say Jock Finiston. I go, well, it was you, Ray, but it was Jock Finiston as well. It's like, just Jock, is, Jock just chuffed the bits at that. You know? So, yeah, love those two players to bits. Later on, um, love Kerry. Thought Kerry's fantastic for us. You know, Pat Nevin was another player. You know, so, yeah, they're probably my favourite players of all time. Yeah. Excellent stuff. Uh, now, I mean, you've been going as as I know, you know, since the the mid seventies, and I know I know how fond you are, particularly of that Eddie Mac uh, period from seventy five to seventy seven. Um, now, I mean, the hilarious things. I was joking with Tim here because I saw your list of favourite matches, and I said we could do five hours on Mark's favourite matches because there are so many of them in there. Let's see how far we can get. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what I try to do, listeners, is obviously the favourite match of all time for me as a Chelsea fan would be Samuels. It would be Munich in 2008. But I've tried to be pre-2003 because it annoys me as a Chelsea fan, particularly when opposing fans make that you know cheap jibe about us only being invented sort of like post-2003. So every game yeah, I've, I'm talking about, because there's plenty of brilliant games that I love, after 2003, precedes that period. Uh, I'd say the first game, um, and it's a shame it wasn't on telly because we talked the other night um, about the Southampton FA Cup game, but we played them earlier in the league uh, and Southampton had won the FA Cup, came to Stamford Bridge, 42,000 there that day, and we were 1-0 down with about 15 minutes to go, the game of the day, and we got three late goals. Kenny Swain, Jock Finiston and Ray Wilkins got the third goal. Tremendous comeback. And it was just a tremendous atmosphere there. 
a really good performance. And all the Sunday papers as well the next day were raving. So Bob Wilson had a Sunday column and he said, you know, we were as good as the Manchester United team that got promoted the year before. And I think it might have been Mike Langley in the News of the World described Ray Wilkins' performance as like almost like the perfect performance. And he did everything on the pitch that day except blow up the match ball. So just brilliant, a brilliant line. It's even stuck in my memory to this day. So that, that was probably my first real big game that I, re I remember well. Obviously, listening to other people's My Chelsea, this has been mentioned a couple of times before, but it's in my top 10. The 4-2 the FA Cup game against Liverpool in 1978. That blinding goal from Clive Clive Walker. Um, so that sticks in my memory. We played him and Langley got this goal from about 25 yards out. And I think it's probably the best goal I ever saw Tommy Langley score for Chelsea. So um, other games, um, same season, we played Ipswich at home. Um, that month of January was a mad month for Chelsea uh, and the preceding December. We went through a period where every game there seemed to be at six, seven, eight goals in the game. So I think in successive weekends, we beat Liverpool 4-2. We lost 5-1 away at Coventry. And then we beat Liverpool, um, Ipswich 5-3 at home. And that was a memorable game. End-to-end, yeah, non-stop, lots of goals, lots of action, uh, and a bit of shithousery on the way that we had at least one, maybe two goals that any other day or VAR would have disallowed. And that's sometimes part of a... a a good Chelsea victory. Your team's won, you've played well, and you've got something over the opposition. If you watch it on YouTube, listeners, there's a Kenny Swain goal that looks miles offside. And even a mild-mannered man such as Bobby Robson, you know, was annoyed about this after the game. No, actually, actually I forgot the Burnley game as well. That was a cracking game. Um, bearing in mind, Burnley was my introduction to Chelsea because I think we were 1-0 down against Burnley after a couple of minutes. Um, and the other thing memorable about that game, I used to stand in the white wall and we scored so many goals that night. After about the third goal, I got lifted off the ground and lost lost my left shoe. So I had to stand <laughs> one-footed for the remainder of the game and thought, well, actually, if it stays 3-1, that'll be fine. And there was three more goals and you can't stand one-footed in the shed back then. So literally, I'm going back and forward, trying to avoid sort of like hundreds of people standing on my feet and I had to wait till the end of the game to collect my shoe. And it was about 50 yards down the front of the shed, virtually by the playing surface. So I, sh I should have remembered that game yeah, for other reasons. So what's the next one? Another game, uh, again, one of my favourites, uh, Spurs away. Start of the 78-9 season. Now, I know that season didn't end well for us, but it was the first game at White Hot Lane after that infamous game in 1975 when Tottenham relegated us. So there was clearly you know, a bit of a grudge, a bit of bad blood. Heaven forbid there'd be a bit of bad blood between Chelsea and Tottenham. Who knew? Um, who knew? Who knew? So it was Tottenham's first Saturday home game of the season. You know, big brouhaha over the summer, getting all the press because they'd got uh, Ardias and Villa from the 1978 Argentina World Cup winning side. And although they'd had a home game against Aston Villa during the week, this was the first proper Saturday, full house, white hot lane, ticker tape reception as they came on. And we came along and spoilt the party. You know, we drew 2-2. There's two cracking goals from Kenny Swain. Uh, and it was Ray Wilkins versus Glenn Hoddle. And Ray Wilkins got man of the match today. As good as a player Hoddle was, yeah, it was Ray, Ray Wilkins' day. And I've got this picture at home um, where, and people may have seen it, it's a black and white photo from Art Lane, where Kenny Swain has got his arm aloft after, I think, probably scoring the first goal. 
uh, and I've got that you know here at home I've got it signed by Kenny Swen it's one of my favorite Chelsea souvenirs an absolutely brilliant day shame we didn't beat them because we were the better side but actually we went along and support the party so mem- memorable memorable game yeah uh, and just in case you uh, have forgotten that uh, the um the, the press are all completely biased against Chelsea. I've just picked up a couple of articles here. Um, and uh, Mike Langley, I don't know what paper it was, gave the man of the match to our dealers. And Ken Montgomery gave the match to the man of the match to Ricky Villa. But I have to say, there was a lovely paragraph at the end of the uh, Mike Langley piece. And he says, um, I'll remember, what I'll remember longest from a, an, an entertaining afternoon is the sight of our dealers attempting to win a ball in the air against Mickey Droy. <laughs> which I think is very, very well put. So there you go. Right then, what's, what next? Oh, um, same season, um, 78-9. Uh, not a great season for Chelsea. We lost our first four home games. Um, and then in October of that year, we had Bolton Wanderers at home. And for those people that were there that day, uh, they will remember that having endured four home defeats you know, already, we were very quickly 3-0 down to a Bolton side. I think Frank Worthington might have scored um, a, a penalty for them or certainly scored yeah. scored for, for, for them. Um, so 3-0 down at half-time, already people heading heading for home. Went into the second half, didn't seem to get any better. Um, manager Ken Shiletto rolled the dice and decided to bring on Clive Walker, who at that stage yeah, had made some appearances for the first team. The Liverpool goal, probably the most memorable. But I would say wasn't an established first team regular playing every week at that point. So he came off the bench and probably one of the few players who was playing well or seemed to try that day was Gary Stanley. And he took Gary Stanley off and there was a huge boo from the whole crowd. You know, not for Walker coming on, but for Gary, Gary Stanley going off. And these days it'd probably be followed by you don't know what you're doing. So Walker comes on 20 minutes to go. Um, quickly down down the left wing um, player that was marking him oh, I'm trying to remember I think it was Gary Jones who was the fullback for Bolton um, gets a bit of, of Gary Jones first attempt ball into the box Tommy Langley gets a co- consolation goal back not, not a lot happens for the next 10 minutes it's now five minutes to go another walker run down the wing another cross in uh, Kenny Swain makes it 3-2 and all of a sudden there's momentum with Chelsea the crowd who were still there, and the gate that day was 19,800. There were 79 people extra, but they were probably Bolton fans. Um, so with the crowd really sort of, you know, getting behind Chelsea, every time they got the ball, it just went out on the wing to Walker. He had the beating of Jones by now. So another Walker run down the wing, cuts inside Jones, and he makes it 3 all. And the roof, you know, was taken off you know, at Stamford Bridge. And at that point, there's three minutes ago, there's only one winner. You know, Chelsea have gone from 3-0 down, pulled it back to 3-3. And it's Walker again, final minute of the game. Uh, another cross in. And the well-known future Bolton manager, future England manager, Sam Allardyce, sticks his foot out and deflects it past Jim McDonough in the goal. And you know, 4-3, absolute pandemonium now. Uh, I've never been, you know, at a Chelsea game like it to, to come back and to win a game 4-3 being in plenty of games where we've come back to draw a game but not to win a game you know in that manner uh, unbelievable um, heading home that night uh, and I lived in Wilson back then and 
people we grew up, went to school with were Spurs fans. Um, and they'd been to Spurs that day. And they were coming out the tube station, same as us. Heard we were losing three and a half time. Absolutely laughing their socks off. Could not believe, refused to believe that Chelsea had won 4-3. And older people remember back in those days on Saturday evenings, around about sort of half five, six o'clock, the evening standard used to do an early print with all the scores in it. So clearly, you know, waited till the evening standard delivery popped up, dropped the newspapers outside the station and then go, there you go. Chelsea did win 4-3. Remarkable game. The goals are on YouTube somewhere, listeners. Mm, check that one out. Um, talking of... Uh, of uh, well, actually, there's a few more to go here. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm reading ahead. So I'm, I'm going to stop. You carry on. 6-0 yeah. against... Uh, against Newcastle. Now, funnily enough, I I know about this because uh when we interviewed Gary Chivers, he was very quick to say that he scored the goal of the season that season. He did. Yeah, it's a great goal, the the fifth goal, um from one end of the pitch to the other. So it wasn't it wasn't a great time then. It was beginning what we probably call the gloomy years at Chelsea where things started to go wrong. Yeah, and rather than bouncing back from the relegation in 78-9, yeah, we stayed in that division for a number of years. But we had occasional high spots, and the Newcastle game was a high spot. Newcastle always seemed to be a high spot. We all seemed to do well at the Stamford Bridge. Uh, so we won 6-0 that day. Uh, I think Colin Lee got a hat-trick from memory. Mike Fillery and Walker got the goals, but Chivers got the best goal of the lot. End-to-end move. Um, Phil Driver was man of the match that day, had a brilliant game. But I think on this occasion, it might have been a ball from Peter Rhodes-Brown uh, or it might have been you know, Clive Walker. And Chivers has run the end of the pitch to be on the end of this you know, brilliant team goal you know, to slide in that goal. Um, definitely the goal of the season. It was on match of the day. You know, really good performance. But unfortunately, the rest of the season... You know, at that point, you know, we were in third position going for promotion. We tailed off after Christmas, uh, couldn't score, you know, and fell out of the promotion race. Uh, indeed, it was, you know, it, I, I think, it's just, you know, we, there's, a, there's a book in this, I'm sure, about kind of really defining, you know, when and if, in fact, Chelsea were shit. And actually, the reality is we, we were shit, but it wasn't for quite as long or as frequently as a lot of other people would like to uh, to make out. But... 80-81, I think, was the nadir. 81-83 to 83 was probably the nadir of Chelsea's shitness. And I think in many supporters... I mean, for me, I wasn't going then. But all of my mates, like Smithy and Phil and all of that lot, you know, the Rotherham away almost brings on reverential tone, uh, tones. You know, Phil always used to say, so you're not a proper Chelsea fan if you weren't at Rotherham away, mate. You know, so it's <laughs> it's almost like a, a, a badge of honour for the, for, those, for those who were there. You know, yeah. and Mark, I didn't realise this, although of course I should have realised that, that you would have been there. So talk me through uh, Rotherham six, Chelsea nil. <laughs> and it is, it is a memorable game for all the wrong reasons. Um, there was only ten thousand there, but probably there's a hundred thousand there now. Where people, you know, sort of said, "Oh, if you, I was at Rotherham away." Um, we used to um, when we went away games back then. Wherever we went, we always had to be in the pub by opening time. And if we were playing Sheffield, we're drinking Rotherham. If we're playing in Rotherham, we're drinking Sheffield. So we're in we're in the pub in Sheffield at eleven o'clock. Got cabs down to the ground, um, and some guy stayed in the pub. And my, my favourite memory of this is that um, like Rotherham was struggling. Uh, yeah, we were struggling. They were further down the league than than, than us. Um, and 
I think Rotherham scored two goals in the first 10 minutes. Uh, I think Rodney Fern got one of them. I can't remember who got the first goal. So we were 2 0 uh, down. Brecken, after... whoever he Brecken, was, or Breakin. Yeah. So we're 2 0 down after 10 minutes. And I mentioned him the other night, dear friend of mine, began at Chelsea with a few years called Danny Ford. He stayed in the pub and he sort of turned up um, uh, uh, probably about 10 past, quarter past three, a little worse to wear. And I was already nipping to the loo, thought, oh, this game's lost already. And he comes through the turnstiles and the, t- the toilets at Rotherham are right beside the turnstiles. Um, and he goes to me, well, how are we doing, Mark? I go, we're losing 2-0. And he thought I was winding him up. So he said, you're joking. I said, no, we're losing 2-0. So he then goes to sort of strangle me, either in a friendly or violent manner. And for some bizarre reason, the local Rotherham police thought he was assaulting me. So they all leapt on top of him and asked me if I wanted to press charges. And I just said, no, he's my mate. You know, just a bit <laughs> drunk. Um, and they just thought that was really bizarre. They, they said, you Londoners and your daft ways, like you're going around beating each other up. Um, so we lose 6-0 to Rotherham. I think we sat down on 10 men went to Mo rather than stood up on that. Um, and on the train back to London, so we're all consoling ourselves. And I think he'd slept most of the way back. And we're not far out of London. And he wakes up and just says, yeah, that was a really good result today. And everyone in the carriage is going, what? A really good start? He said, yeah. He said, a nil-nil draw at Watford away is a really good result. They're a good side. You know, so he was that drunk. <laughs> it was that completely different game. Yeah. Well, that, I so, think that, that was probably the way to deal with Chelsea in those days, to be so drunk you, you don't actually remember the result. Now, here's, here's the thing, Mark. Um, tell me if this was true. I mean, I know uh, Bummer's uh, missed a penalty, and I know that Petr Barotta had an absolute, complete and utter Western super, didn't he? He was appalling that day. But were were, were you lot singing, we want six, I'm oh, sorry, we want seven, we want seven? And I mean, yes. there was some very, very funny chants going around that day, from what I understand. Yeah, Yes, indeed. Yeah, we were. Uh, I think, yeah, Bumpson missed the penalty. I think he was saved. Um, uh, Barotta got booked. It was a complete car crash of, of, of performance. Uh, and I think the, the other thing afterwards then... Um, as not for Chelsea, but folklore was like Ronnie Moore, you know, was up front um, for Rotherham that day. I think it was Rodney Fern and Rod, Rod, Ronnie Moore. And there were, there were badges produced by Rotherham fans saying, I've seen Ronnie Moore score because his, his goal scoring record for Rotherham, I think was as bad as Alan Mays was for us. Yeah. And the other thing is I found this out recently, but you can actually find this on YouTube. This is actually on YouTube because it was televised. So, uh, if you want to see the full horror of, of Chelsea getting dumped by uh, Rotherham 6-0, you can watch it on YouTube, but there you go. Now, um, funnily enough, uh, out of the matches that we've talked about, the second uh, match that's in my article as one of the matches that changed Chelsea's history, I would argue that uh, this is possibly one of the most important matches of all time for Chelsea, and Clive Walker scored probably the most important goal in Chelsea's history, didn't he? I, I would I would agree. Other than Jasper Gronkiar's, that's yeah, also the, on my list. Yeah, <laughs> uh, this is probably the most important goal ever in Chelsea's history. Walker doesn't score that goal. Um, Chelsea probably could have gone down. If Chelsea had gone down, they might have gone out of business. That Bolton day is a really significant part of our history. One of my most memorable games I went to. We took too many buses up to Bolton. Rained all day. Got absolutely soaked. Didn't care. You know, that result was just so significant. We stayed up, Bolton went down. Yeah, so, really memorable game. Uh, the other memorable part of it, obviously, after then drinking Bolton dry after the game, 
we were on the way back to London late at night on the Saturday night, and this car crashed into one of our minibuses. And, you know, no damage done, but obviously we were concerned about the welfare of the car that crashed into us. And it was um, four guys in a car. So we all went out to sort of help them make sure they're all, all right. Car was damaged. So the good citizens that we were, we said, well, actually, there's too many buses. We'll squash up. And they were heading back to London. And, you know, we'll give you a lift back to London. We then discovered they were Tottenham fans. <laughs> no way. So, so this that, that dilemma that we continue to give them a lift back to London, but kind-hearted souls that we were, we did. And then we're on the way back to London, and these guys said, "Oh, so like you know, you know, too many buses of Chelsea fans." Sort of like, oh, we didn't realise Chelsea took so many fans away. So the driver of the bus says, "Well, you can either shut your mouth, yeah, or you can get out and walk home. You choose what you want to do." <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, what was the atmosphere like there? Because I, I spoke to Gary Chivers about this, and he said it was it was obviously very nervy. But he felt, and they all felt as a team, they knew the relevance of this match. But they 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 felt confident that they were going to get a result. They didn't, you know, they didn't shit themselves or anything like that. They were they were fairly confident. But you know, there were a lot of Chelsea there, weren't there? Huge Chelsea following there that day. I, I was I was in the seats on the side. I'm an optimist by nature. I've often said that I think Chelsea will win every game they play. So, you know, I thought we would win. So delighted that we did. Uh, but we we did enough that day. It wasn't a great game. It was a scrap scrappy performance. You know, but I didn't think we would lose. Yeah, I think uh, you know Bolton didn't really show any signs during that game of beating us. It was just in the question: could we get the goal that would actually guarantee our safety, and we wouldn't have to go into the last game of the season thinking. We might have to beat Middlesbrough to stay up. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and he did. It all worked out, and uh, very, very well played to uh, uh, to Clive Walker for getting us out of the poo there. So there you go. Now, uh, the the next one, um, I, 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 you know, I got to a bit quickly actually a minute ago, but this is Cardiff away in the promotion season in eighty three, eighty four, and again, I mean, this has. You know, I mean, talking about comebacks for Chelsea, I mean, we talked about the Bolton game a minute ago. This was even more remarkable, wasn't it? Oh, this is absolutely, absolutely incredible. Um, the, we were playing well that season. We were going for promotion. But for some strange reason, we didn't turn up to the first half that day. Um, and we found ourselves in the second half, 3-0 down to Cardiff. And you know, we had this late rally where we got sort of three goals in the last few minutes and actually missed a chance to win the game 4-3. And like the final goal um, was a Nigel Spackman penalty. And um, even though I'm an optimist, that was one nervous penalty. Thinking, you know, there's no time left in this game. If he misses this, we lose the game. But incredible comeback by Chelsea. You know, scoring sort of those three goals in a short period of time than the, the Bolton game. And I think the other thing I remember about that day was twofold. Um, when we when it went to away games, um, by then we were going on coaches rather than on, on trains. We took turns in organising the coach. And I organised a trip to Cardiff that day. Uh, and I just thought, do you know what? Because you know, we're having a good season. I'll be a, a right Jonah. Everyone else has run a coach this year. We've won. First one I win. Well, first one I, you know, I organise. We end, we end up losing. So I was delighted we got a draw out of it. But also just the amount of violence at that game that day. You know, there was fighting on all sides of the ground, apart from the Chelsea section. You know, the, the other three sides of the ground, there were Chelsea fans in all parts of the ground fighting with Cardiff fans. There was fighting before the game, fighting after the game. There's some really funny footage of that, actually. And I mean, it is amongst that generation notable 
as, as, as a very big turnout or turn up, depending on which way you want to look at it. But there's some great footage of that game and, and Chelsea, Chelsea fans celebrating uh, in all parts of the ground, which is quite a common feature in those days. And I mean, talking of away matches, I mean, this is for, uh, of that kind of period in Chelsea's history. This is this goes down as one of the most legendary away games, doesn't it? It was uh, Man City away in 1984, shortly after that Cardiff away match, actually. But it was unusually played on a Friday night, wasn't it? It was. It was. It was um, rare in those days to have a live televised game, and even rarer for a live televised game to be a second division game because they'd focus on what is now the Premier League. But at the point when the BBC chose the game, both ourselves and Man City yeah, and Sheffield Wednesday were probably the three main sides contesting promotion that year. So they probably thought, you know, this could be a promotion or even a title decider. Um, Man City fell away a little bit, and then it was us and Sheffield Wednesday. But the thousands of fans, bearing in mind it was a Friday, who are up at Main Road that day, a phenomenal support. I, I don't think, other than sort of the hybrid game we're going to talk about in a minute, I don't think I've seen an away support as big as that for, for many a year. And just an absolute brilliant performance by Chelsea in front of the TV cameras. Um, it was such a great support, such a great evening, great result. You know, that one night alone, you know, talking about books, you could probably write a book you know, about that Man City game that evening. You know, it is in my top 10 games, it's probably top 10 away games, a memorable evening. And I think I think anybody who was there would know what a great evening that was for Chelsea Football Club and its supporters. Chidge. JK, in all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft. Inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all... No more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. (laughs) Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Indeed it does. And of course, Pat Nevin scored and uh, and Kerry Dixon and we won 2-0, which is all important. Uh, And of course, we go up that season and... uh, Chelsea are back in the first division for the first time in a while, and uh, I think there, you know, I think this is so many people's one of pe- one of uh, the favourite games for so many people of that era, 
that uh, the the match against Arsenal, uh, our first match back in Division One, Kerry's goal, of course, his favourite goal of all time. You were there uh, at Chelsea everywhere that day, weren't there? Oh, brilliant! Um, and there was a book written about that Chelsea was, here, yeah. Chelsea there, and uh, I, I contributed a, a piece to that um, for, for Mark Worrell. Just an amazing day, eleven o'clock kickoff. I think the idea of an eleven o'clock kickoff is probably to deter fans from drinking beforehand. I think we met in North London about nine o'clock in the morning and found a sympathetic landlord who would open his doors you know, at nine o'clock. Um, so I think it was a guy called Mark Webster who found that pub for us, also known as Barnet, mm. uh, to many people and used to sort of stand in the tea bar. So a familiar face to many Chelsea fans. So thanks for Barnet for the pub that day. Just a great, great performance by Chelsea. We were back with the elite and we showed that day against Arsenal why we deserve to be back in Division One. Yeah, brilliant performance and uh, a memorable debut from a Doug Rugby. <laughs> and I think if people were there that day, they would remember one tackle he did on Viv Anderson. You could almost hear the ground shake as Rugby sort of like tore into Viv Anderson. Couldn't always say that about Doug Rugby on some of the games he played for Chelsea, but he had a really memorable debut that day. And then broaden that, that Chelsea goal, the 15,000 Chelsea fans that day, what a way to announce yourself back in the first division. Brilliant memories. Absolutely. It's, 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 you know, one of, as I said, one of the favourite matches for so many people that I know. Uh, you've got another one against Arsenal three years later in 87 at the bridge. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, uh, Arsenal, I know people going on about hating Tottenham and disliking Tottenham. I'm, I'm not mad about Arsenal either. And, you know, I, I know today's the anniversary of beating them in, in Baku as well, although I'm not sure what Baku day is. Um, that's probably a sort of a social media thing. But um, I think that was the season where Arsenal went the season unbeaten. And we were the only team that beat them that season, you know, with, with a Colin West goal. And I think it was even the late um, MP Tony Banks even asked um, in the house for it to be mentioned and congratulate Chelsea Football Club for being the only side to beat Arsenal. Yeah. And I think it's immortalised in fever pitch as well, if I remember right. Um, obviously, I'd left the ground, but I, I, I just love this memory of a freezing cold January of one of the Chelsea ground staff as the Arsenal fans are kept in afterwards, just rolling the pitch back and forward, you know, on, on the roller. And as he gets near the Arsenal fans, he just gives them the finger, turns the tractor around, goes back and keeps doing that for the whole time the Arsenal fans are kept in there. You know, I'm not mad about Arsenal because, you know, we go on about Tottenham relegating us in 75, which they did, but Arsenal relegated us in 79. And I remember what that, that day was like when they put us down. So that was another reason to enjoy the previous game, you know, first game back in 84, but also beating them and stopping their unbeaten run in 87. Got a lot of enjoyment out of that. Oh, absolutely. Nothing like sticking it up to uh, George Graham's Arsenal. Interesting thing for us here, we got Colin West playing, another you know little known, I suppose, Chelsea player. And of course, the, uh, the previously mentioned Wiggly Weggly played. Yeah, he, he did. I think Colin West works, if I'm right, for a housing association he- now. Does he yeah, really? Bloody I think, hell. I think Kevin Barker. I think Kevin Barker told me that. Yeah. Wow, wow. Uh, now, uh, talking, uh, I, you know, there was we had some great players around that time. And again, you know, one of my favourites of that late 80s era and, and the 88-89 season is one of my favourite Chelsea seasons, bar none. Uh, and uh, you've got another uh, away match against Man City again. And uh, Tony Dorigo, one of my favourite players from, from the time, uh, he, he, uh, he features very heavily in this, doesn't he? Oh, it's oh, definitely. Uh, again, if people were there, it's almost like the charge of the light brigade. Um, so again, another season in the second division. 
you know, another Manchester City, Chelsea sort of nip, nip and tuck going for promotion. We should never have got relegated that previous season. So, you know, how, how we ever got relegated against Middlesbrough, I'll never know. And I think it was the anniversary of that yesterday. But we always had a sort of like a title playoff against Manchester City. And we went 3-0 up, I think, if I remember right. And the goal Dorigo scored, like, it's this breakaway from inside the Manchester City half. And I think there's about four Chelsea players with him. And the Chelsea fans are at the other end just sort of roaring Dorigo on. Um, and, you know, he just says, I think Man City, Andy Dibble probably was in goal. And he runs the whole length of the pitch. You know, do you think, is he going to pass it? Is he going to shoot? Dribbles around Dibble and slots it into net to put us 3-0 up. Because I think Dixon and Wilson have got the earlier goals. And you just sort of think, yep, we're top of the league at the moment. We're staying top of the league. Man City aren't going to catch us. I think probably at that point, you know, pretty much I think promotion was sealed for Chelsea. There was no danger of us staying in that you know, second division for one more season. Yeah. You know, great game, great day. Uh, I think another reason why I remember it well, my, my sister at that time was studying um, up at Salford University. So, again, we talked about earlier, a lot of football was involved in drinking. So there was always a pub we used to go up in Salford. And we used to say it used to be the 90 minutes of football we used to get in the way. So that sticks in my memory as well. Going up, seeing my sister while she was at uni, you know, having a drink in Salford and then going and seeing the Blues pick up three points. Excellent stuff. And, uh, you know, as I said about Tony Dorigo, I mean, I was so chuffed in, uh, it, you know, Italia 90. Uh, that he he played, I think he he only got a game in the in the last match against Italy, which was a shame because we lost it. But uh, I don't know. I was just really proud that we had a Chelsea player playing for England at the time. Talking of which, you know, I said I spoke to Kerry this week. He was telling me that um, he very nearly made the cut uh, in 1990 uh, for the England squad, but uh, apparently uh, Bobby Robson chose Steve Bull instead. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. There you go. Exclusive. Whether I was supposed to tell everybody that, I don't know, but I just have apologies. Well, Kerry was cool about it. You know, he said, no, no, fair enough. I mean, he felt that he was just going to be a bit part player anyway. And as it turned out, Bully didn't get a game. But I said to him, I said, I can't believe he picked Steve Bull and not you. I mean, that's just bonkers. I mean, I know Bully scored a lot of goals in the second division that season. But I mean, you know, Kerry had been in 86, you know, he had experience. Strange decision. Strange is, decision. Strange. I've, I've never heard that. Well, that. That is a strange decision. I agree. Yeah, Steve, Steve Ball was a goal machine for Wolves, but most of his goals were, you know, further down because uh, Wolves had spent time in the fourth and third divisions as well. Yeah. Strange choice. There you yeah. go. Right, next match. Uh, actually, this is a real favourite match of mine. Never made my list, Mark, but. Uh, uh, you know, I, there's nothing I like more than beating uh, Liverpool, and we very rarely beat them up in Anfield. And this, of course, is in 1992. Um, even Jason Cundy played, uh, I see here, but uh, the match is not famous for Cundy, it's famous for one Vincent Jones. It was, and I'd, I'd been to Liverpool a few times prior to, prior to that, and never seen Chelsea yeah. get anything from Anfield. Always went there, you know, even being optimistic, we always ended up losing, often to a debated or disputed penalty. So just going up there that day and, you know, whatever people thought about Vinnie Jones, you know, being at Chelsea, there was some of that, you know, Wimbledon crazy gang attitude that he brought with him. And, you know, the story afterwards about the, this is Anfield sign and Jones sort of putting up a sticker saying we're bothered. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Jones gets uh, a goal after about 20 minutes and it's an absolutely brilliant goal. You know, it hits it on the half volley from outside the penalty area. Uh, I think Dennis Wise scores that day and we even afford 
um, to be able to miss a penalty. So we could have beaten Liverpool 3-1 at Anfield. And it was the first time I think we'd won at Anfield probably since, you know, I, I jokingly said since the Titanic went down. We might have, I know we beat them in, in the cup in the 60s, but it was a long, long time, maybe 50 or 60 plus years since we won at Anfield. Um, even better people than I will know when, when that last victory was. But it was just an absolute brilliant victory to win at Anfield. And I'm delighted we've made it much more frequent since then. Indeed. Uh, and of course, our first Premiership match on the list. But we've now got an FA Cup match uh, in, our, in our run to the Cup final in 1994. Uh, round six, that's quarterfinals, if my memory serves me correctly, against Wolverhampton Wanderers. Yep. Yep, uh, yeah, great day, great atmosphere that day. We beat Wolves 1-0. We thought we were on our way to Wembley, and we were right. We got to Wembley, but we lost to Manchester United, but that's another story. But my, my memory of this is by then, um, I was involved with the Chelsea Independent fanzine, um, and it was the debut of the Blue Flag. So it was the first time the Blue Flag had ever appeared at Stamford Bridge, uh, and it was company called AA Flags in concert in the north of England that made this flag and I think the late Matthew Harding um, guy called Joe Hermani who's still involved with Chelsea, guy called Ashley Rolfe, a guy called Graham Bell all contributed to, to paying for this flag and we were just nervous, how would it work it was those big flags you see continental football and it just took on a life of its own, it just went from the west end to the back and forth and now, you know, as any match day going fan, you know, the blue flag is a fundamental part of every single you know, home match day. So it, it was his debut. So, you know, his idea it was, was a guy called Mark Pulver, who's sadly no longer with us. But there's just a moment at the end of the game that we said to a couple of guys who were sitting in the West Stands, when we put the flag out for the first time, you know, whatever you do, look after the flag. And, and when the game is won at the end, and obviously... People knew where the flag was. There was a massive pitch invasion. And all the Chelsea fans who were in the West End who ran on the pitch then gathered the blue flag. And then you see it. You've seen it in sort of like um, photos and some film clips. in, And they then unfurl the flag out on the pitch. So there's this huge pitch invasion with the blue flag. And I just thought, absolutely amazing to see. But then the downside was I got a phone call on Monday morning. And um, the place I was working in then was... Um, to answer phone call advice and assessments. Um, so a phone call Monday morning and this grumpy voice down at the end of the phone, and I say, good morning, advice and assessments. Can I help you? And this voice says, what the fucking hell was that? Are you some kind of fucking social worker? And straight away I said, good morning, Ken. How are you doing? <laughs> Mr. Bates. You know. <laughs> and he said, my office. <laughs> So we had to go down to Ken's office and we had this lecture being told off like naughty schoolboys for you know, allowing the blue flag onto the pitch. And he had to sort of deal with complaints from the Football Association, the plea about the behaviour of the fans. You know, so he administered the, sort of the, the telling off, but then said privately, actually, do you know what? It was fantastic, wasn't it? So did it get an airing after that? Yes, it did. And a number of times, um, I can't, no, it, it didn't get to Wembley. Wembley wouldn't allow it. So it appeared regularly. I think we had it in the sem a couple of semi-finals. And I think the last time I heard of it, so the original blue flag, and DJ probably would know better than I, but I think the Harding family had the flag last I heard, and that's a number of years ago. And obviously Roman Abramovich has paid for 
the current new blue flag that we've got. But that was the first ever blue flag of that kind at Chelsea. And that's, that's memorable for me. It made its debut there and we got the right result and went on to Wembley. Excellent. Now, uh, the next one is a, is a Cup Winners' Cup match uh, later that year, which I know, I, sadly, I, I wasn't there, but I, I know for a fact it, 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 everybody talks about this as one of the best atmospheres ever at the bridge. Uh, talking of the bridge, it's against Bruges. It, it was. Uh, obviously, growing up with older Chelsea fans, you'd hear the stories um, that when people were going in the 1970s of that memorable 4-0 Bruges game when Aussie came back from an eight-match ban. So you heard those stories, oh, you should have been there at Bruges. So it's just nice to be there, our, our own equivalent, sort of 20 years later. Um, we'd lost the first leg uh, away in Belgium and came back to what was then three sides of the ground because the ground was being redeveloped. And it was just an incredible atmosphere that night. Uh, again, it's that level of optimism that I and many Chelsea fans have. There was never in any doubt, you know, that we would not win that game and get through that night. The fans were just tremendous, the noise they made. And um, I think from memory, I think Mark Steen gets the first goal. Yeah. And then the second goal is it's almost similar to the Gary Chivers goal we talked about earlier in Nottingham Forest, where I think Paul Furlong, I think he might have won the ball in our half or in our penalty area from a Bruges corner. And we break away a steam chases a lost cause down on the right hand side where the East Stand is, wins possession from the Bruges defender and sends a hopeful ball into the penalty area. And Furlong has run the length of the pitch. Um, and he's on the end of it to sort of make it 2-0. And this is before half-time. So we're 2-0 up. You know, we're now through 2-1 um, an aggregate and probably one of the most nervy 45-minute second halves of many a year. But again, you know, the fans got behind the team, cheered the team on. But a brilliant performance of that, that side under Glenn Hoddle and a great support from Chelsea, Chelsea fans. But, you know... Unfortunately, the hard part done, having got past Bruges, we then got knocked out in the semi-final against Real Zaragoza. We have. We had made we had made a statement that year. I'm absolutely sure of that. Uh, there's, there's one that you've picked out here, which uh, which which is intriguing, and it's it's 1996. Uh, uh, Rude Hullet's now in the side, and uh, we we thumped Newcastle five nil. What was what was so memorable about that? Obviously, beating anybody five nil is memorable, but I think in particular something to do with the football we played that day, Mark. Uh, it's it's Newcastle, not 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 Middlesbrough. I got Middlesbrough down here. Oh, you said Newcastle. Did I? That's because I'm an idiot. <laughs> well, it's close. Yeah. Newcastle, Middlesbrough, Sunderland. Yeah. You know, us Southerners can't tell the difference. It's, it's up in the northeast somewhere. Yeah, that'll um, do. Remember <laughs> thing about that game. Obviously, Hullet's first season, um, one of the best Chelsea players I'd ever seen play. He was just on a different wavelength, even came to a latter, to a latter part of his career. Um, under Glenn Hoddle's man- management, there were some games with Hoddle being there, um, where it really didn't happen, it didn't work. I remember going to Ewood Park when he was playing and we got beat comfortably by Blackburn Rovers 3-0. I think Hullet was looking around thinking, what am I doing here? Because it really just was awful that day. But it began to gel and I think it really came to fruition in this game. And I think, I think yeah, I think you can find it on, on YouTube because I think Sky Sports yeah, covered it. And the football we played that day and Hullet, was the you know behind you know you know everything involved in that team and it reminded me of that sort of Dutch side from the 1970s total football Hullet covered half the position on, on the park and 
it was just a joy to watch. We got five. It could easily have been ten. Absolutely slaughtered Middlesbrough that day. Gavin Peacock got got an absolutely brilliant hat trick. Uh, one of my fave players at that time, Johnny Spencer, and Paul Furlong got the goals. And we were just so good that day. I think if any job got Glenn Hoddle the Eng- uh, any game, sorry, got Glenn Hoddle the England job, I think that game got Hoddle the job. The football we played was just a joy to watch. And that was just when you just knew there was something. And this is when things began to change. You know, that whole revolution moving into the Hullet revolution that led into the Viali revolution. A brilliant Chelsea performance. If only Glenn Hoddle could have picked Rude Hullet for England. It could have all been so different. Um, it would have been very different. Now, talking of Viali, uh, moving into the Viali area. Like, and funny enough, this is, I think, the third match that you've chosen, which has made my article about matches that changed Chelsea's history but the uh the, the FA Cup match against Liverpool uh in 1997 is is again very very much a favorite match amongst that generation of supporters isn't it incredible um 2-0 down at half time winning 4-2 I like a comeback you know that's reflected in some of the games I've chosen today but what what a comeback what a performance by Chelsea dead and buried at half time 2-0 down nation watching uh, we come back in that second half with the Mark Hughes substitution and the role Viali because he was having he was having a tough time at Chelsea. He was blowing hot and cold, um, sometimes inside, sometimes out the side. Yeah, the two goals Viali got, the Zola goal, the Hughes goal, absolutely brilliant performance. Uh, and we went on to win the FA Cup at Wembley. You know, one of my top ten Chelsea games of all time. Sometimes my list changed. Some games go in, some games go out, but that's that's always there. Yeah, along with sort of like the Bolton games, that never changes. That's one of the best games ever. If you were at Chelsea that day, just an incredible atmosphere. And we were destined to win the FA Cup after that, that day. No question. Absolutely. And I, I think I described Mark Hughes. I mean, you know, inspiring substitution, really, uh, by Luca bringing, bringing Hughesy on. And, uh, and sorry, it was uh, Hullet, wasn't it? Not Viali. But anyway bringing him on at half-time. And I described him as running around like a raging bull. He terrorised the Liverpool defence you know, when he came on. And I think Hughes was, was the difference. He got us back into the game. And then Viali's goals were just like the icing on the cake. Yeah, and, and we did win the, the Cup that year. And as I said, I think, again, for me, a match that changed Chelsea's history because had we not won that, then we wouldn't have won the FA Cup. And I think that opened the floodgates for that side, in a sense, because the trophies we won... In the next three, four years after that, I, I I wonder sometimes if that had happened had we not got over the line that year, which we did. Um, of course, following year we then win the, as I said, you know, we win we win the cup winners' cup, and I totally agree with the choice that you've made here. The the, the two uh, the two one win uh, in the quarter final away to Real Betis. I remember watching this on the TV. wasn't lucky enough to go there, and I was just leaping up and down. I mean, Torre Andre Flo tore him apart that night. I thought it was fantastic, but I'd rather hear from you because you were there, Mark, weren't you? I, I, I would agree. That's why I chose the game. I love Torre Andre Flo. I thought he was a terrific player, and that was the one game that in my, really stuck out of my memory. He got a lot of important goals for Chelsea, but that night, he, he, he beat them single-handedly. Those two early goals he got. Um, memorable, it was, it was a trip to Spain. All, all was good watching Chelsea in Spain. I think it was half-term that week from memory. So there was more Chelsea fans out there than would normally be. So we always have a good following for European game. But there was a huge away following that night because I think people made a holiday of it, took the family, took the kids, and caught, caught a bit of football a bit of football in between but just such a brilliant performance by Chelsea a great performance by 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 Flo um and you know a real sort of like turning point that after that point you thought do you know what you know 
I think we're going to win this trophy. We're going to win the Cup Winners' Cup. And we'll probably talk a little bit about the Cup Winners' Cup later as well. But oh. really good really good performance by, by Chelsea that night. Well, before we get to the to the final, which I know will we'll feature um, a little bit in a minute, but uh, uh, the Barcelona Champions League 3-1 uh, win at home in 2000, uh, and you described that as the best 45 minutes ever at the bridge in the top 10 for you. And I, I would agree. And I actually think that the football that we played in that Champions League campaign is some of the best I've ever seen Chelsea play. And I, I'm, I think of a match that nobody really talks about much, which is the final away match, I think in the group stages. And I just thought it was the first time I'd ever seen, you know, English pace, you know, football played at that kind of English pace and aggression with continental flair. And Chelsea just, they, they looked superb that season. But I agree, the real pinnacle was beating Barcelona because they were a great side, even then, weren't they? They were. And, and you're right, we, we seem so suited to being in the Champions League with Viali at the helm. And some of the results we got, you know, obviously we went out to the San Siro and a certain Dennis Wise got a certain goal with 13 minutes to go. Uh, we went out to Galatasaray and won 5-0. Yeah, we we got some really good performances. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, out out in Europe, uh, but that half and again the final game you mentioned as well, a terrific team performance. You know, out in Rotterdam, but that forty-five minutes against Barcelona, you know, racing you know into that three-nil lead, um, really brilliant play by Chelsea, and it just you know unfortunate that they they got that crucial away goal because I think if we'd gone to Barcelona three-nil up, even whatever happened. I think 3-1 gave them a glimmer of hope. They only had to sort of like win 2-0 to get through. And sadly on the night, you know, although we did get a goal back, you know, we got a tonking in the new Camp with, with, with a 5-1 defeat. We did indeed, which I remember vividly as a, as a horrible, horrible thing. Uh, and one of the reasons why I've never, ever really liked Figo, you know, because he scored that goal, which is a bit silly, but that's the way it goes. Uh, Mark, that's the, probably the, the most extensive list of favourite matches we'll ever get on my Chelsea, but I'm really glad we've done them all because it's almost like a potted history of Chelsea and it's been absolutely fascinating hearing you talk through those. But uh, uh, we've got to whittle it down to uh, some of your best moments as a Chelsea fan. Uh, yeah, definitely, I think best moments. And again, even looking through those games, I was thinking about a day and I thought... Boy, I've left a six-one White Hart Lane off as <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. I thought how and, and that that was a brilliant one for well because I'll, I'll talk about him in a, in a minute because I was actually working for the Chelsea magazine for that game, so that's how I got in because we had a, a restricted number of fans, and I was sitting beside Neil Barnett, and there was a real small press box at that time at White Hart Lane because of the ground redevelopment, and we went three-one up, and I think it was Christian Gross's first game as manager. And Neil says to me, we'll go 3-1 up. And the press box was right in front of the Tottenham fans. And he goes, if we get four, I don't care. We're jumping up and celebrating because you're meant to observe a bit of etiquette in the press box. So he said, yeah, yeah, what the hell? Not thinking that we'd get four. We got four, we got five, we got six. And each goal, Neil Barnett and I leap up like fans rather than supposedly reporting on game journalists. And by the end of the game, I think those Tottenham fans behind us wanted to kill us. What a great day. Um, I digress. Um, yeah, best Chelsea moments, as I said at the start. Munich, obviously, but you know, going pre-2003. Winning promotion in 77 under Eddie McCready. 1984 promotion under John Neal. John Neal's Bloomer Army. Great days they were. Of course, the 1970 FA Cup win. 
you know, waiting 27 years for an FA Cup win. Uh, I think that is our best FA Cup win in my eyes, despite all the good days we've had out of Wembley since then. And again, the other best moment, you know, was that, that Cup Winners' Cup final in Stockholm in 1998. Again, um, I was fortunate enough to be working for the Chelsea magazine. I was in the press box. I was sitting beside Neil Barnett that night and he was ringing back to London through Club Call. So I got an insight how to how Club Call actually worked. And it was a 90-minute phone call reporting on the game. And I tried to assist him throughout the game, giving him bits of paper and prompts and information. But when Zola scored, like Neil Barnett leaping on top of me, and sort of like us rolling around in the aisle, snogging each other, is a memorable moment for me, bless him. I love Neil Dealer. I think he's a, a great Chelsea fan. And I'm sorry that he's not doing the pitch side stuff at Stamford Bridge anymore. I think it's a crying shame. Too right. We've had Neil on the Chelsea fan cast loads of times. He is so funny and very, very entertaining and hugely opinionated, all of which I love. Uh, now, we have to, I'm afraid, also cover the worst moments. And being Chelsea, we've had a few, haven't we? We have. We, have, we clearly have um, down the years. I think looking at mine and thinking about it, uh, and I think I had made this point on Twitter a few weeks ago, if there was one moment where, and all those times going to football, you sometimes question your rationality, why do you keep doing this? You know, especially when things aren't going well. And when we played an FA Cup replay in 1992 away at Roker Park, we've had the disappointment of the previous year, having beaten Tottenham in the quarterfinals 3 0, losing the semi final to Sheffield Wednesday when we should have got a Wembley. We got a second chance the following season. Although Sunderland got a late equaliser at the bridge, we had about 5,000 fans that went up to Sunderland that night. I was one. Never in any doubt in my mind that the the result of the bridge was a blip. Lucky goal by John Byrne. We were going to go up to Sunderland and we were going to win. We were trailing for most of the game to a Sunderland goal. Their goalkeeper, Norman, had a blinder. Probably the best goal, game in his life. I don't think he'll ever play better than that. But the support that night, like the Chelsea support away from home, tremendous support, urging the team on continually. And then with five minutes to go, Dennis Wise you know, gets... A deserved equaliser, no question. We were the better side on the night. And only one team was going to win it. There wasn't going to be extra time. It was going to be it was going to be Chelsea. And for some bizarre reason, I don't know why, you know, when Sunderland got a late corner in the last minute, I think Andy Townsend came off the post and left the post free. And Gordon Armstrong, you know, got a header just inside the penalty area and won it for Sunderland virtually at the last kick of the game. I don't think in any game ever and I include losing at Wembley in 94 to Man United, bad as though that was with Ellery, we still at least got to Wembley. Yeah. I don't think I've ever experienced a feeling as bad as that Sunderland game where you sort of think, and you're travelling back to London, why do I keep doing this? Why do you keep dealing with that disappointment? We're never, ever going to win anything. This is 1992, remember. And I think, you know, for the rest of that season, I, I hardly went to another game, so I'm really fed up with this. You know, I don't think it's going to get any better. But then, you know, I discovered the Chelsea Independent fanzine and I got involved with that. And that got me back into Chelsea in a big way. But if you, if I chose one moment in my Chelsea sport in history, it'd be that awful night in Sunderland. I'd also hasten to add, we were shockingly treated by the Sunderland police that night. You know, they, you know, call it an escort, a non-existent escort. You know, they supposedly escorted us from the coach park, probably into a trap of Sunderland fans waiting to attack us. So not, not a pleasant evening, uh, freezing cold up there, really bad memories. Yeah, could have given it up, but I'm glad I didn't because obviously all the things that have happened since then. But yeah, if you, if you went to Sunderland, you know what I'm talking about. 
Um, other bad moments, I would say Hullet going was bad, but I think Viali going was even worse. I think, you know, Viali's history with Chelsea as a player and as a manager will live for many a year. I really do think um, that 99 season, we talked about the time we were in the Champions League, but that 99 season, I actually thought we should have won the league that season. We were absolutely superb that season with the likes of like Dan Protescu, you know, Gus Poyer, Dennis Wise. We had such a good side, Le Berth and Desai at the back. And that 2-2 draw at home to Leicester, when Steve Guppy gets that late goal, will live long in the memory. And we just, the remaining games, we might still have won it, but that just knocked the stuffing out of us. And we dropped points at Tottenham, which we never did. We dropped points at Sheffield Wednesday. And just the arse fell out of our season. So that was a huge, you know, disappointment. And one of the worst moments of my Chelsea supporting career. Because I even said, you know, earlier in the season to the late Ron Hawkins, who at that point had obviously seen us win the title in 55 that I thought, you know, we would repeat it that season. And then on a more personal level, I think uh, Matthew Harding's helicopter crash. I knew Matthew. He was a friend of mine. Knew him through the Chelsea Independent fanzine. So absolutely gutted when he died. He's close friend, and I used it um, as a cover for the Chelsea Independent. Um, close friend Graham Bell, when we did a drink for Matthew the night of the Tottenham game, how he described Matthew as a star that shone, a star that shines so brightly can never be extinguished. And I think that's a lovely tribute to the late Matthew Harding. And what we do now is once a year, you know, we get together as friends of Matthew and have a lunch as Chelsea supporters and, and, and remember him. So I'm really glad that we're still doing that and, you know, remembering what a wonderful man and everything he did for Chelsea Football Club. And then finally, on the subject of bereavement, another sad moment was obviously Ray Wilkins' trenchant passing away a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think that's really lovely of you to mention the, you know, losing Matthew and, and Ray. And I uh, and it's, you know, others have have done the same, actually. And I think it, these are the things that just you know stick in the heart don't they and I mean I didn't know Matthew at all but I, I knew Ray very well um and you're right it's a lovely way to, to to describe Matthew but also I think a lovely touch that you still continue to do this annual lunch which I I, I did know about final thing uh, Mark um just to, to mention about the uh the Leicester game and Steve Guppy you're dead right that was absolutely without doubt the game that cost us the title and we should have won it that year um Right, uh, kind of on the home straight, really, here, Mark. Uh, Favourite kind of modern stroke current players? Um, I, I like Dave. Um, you know, Cesar Espelacueta. Um, we are lucky down the years. We've had some tremendous, whether you call them right-backs or, or wing-backs. I think of Petrescu, I think of Albert Ferrer. Uh, it doesn't matter whatever game you, you watch at Chelsea. Um, he's never less than seven out of ten for me. He, he rarely has a bad game. You know, he's our, he's our captain. Um, rarely, you know, rarely has a bad game. Consistent week in week out. Got a lot of time for Dave. Um, much maligned, um, but I love Marcus Alonso. I really don't get some of the people that don't see what he brings to the team. Um, I would be the first. To he doesn't work um, necessarily as a full back in a back four, but there's no better wing back 
in, in my view, in, in your team, because um, you guarantee it'll pick up something named after him as well. And other um, players, come, um, Mason Mount and Billy Gill, many fans love the idea you know, of having youth players in our side. I think it's been a wonderful season that we've had so far with so many people being given a chance by Frank Lampard. But Mason and Billy Gilmore stick out for me. You know, that purple patch Billy Gilmore was having just before we broke for lockdown and that final game against Everton, you know, where I think he ran the most yards on the pitch and, and just had a superb game in midfield. He looked mature beyond his years. And again, a bit like Marcus Alonso, I really don't get the Mason Mount haters. I don't know what game people are watching. I think he is a tremendous talent. You know, a really, really promising young footballer that could be in a Chelsea side for many years to go, many years to come. And also mentioned that Everton, Everton game. Um, he also got me a few quid because both myself and my daughter, Nee, for that game, we backed him to score in that game. So we're a few quid better off. So I'm grateful for Mason to put a few pounds in my pocket as well as being a decent footballer. So of the modern side, they're probably the three or four players that you know, I, I really like the most. Excellent. And uh, what about your all-time Chelsea hero? There's, there's quite a few, but I'd say if you if you made me choose one player, and I, I said this years ago, and I haven't changed my mind, and somebody accused me of having rose-tinted spectacles <laughs> um, when they reviewed my book on Amazon, um, um, Blue Tomorrow, um, and I actually said my favourite player in that book was Pat Nevin, and it still is for me, Pat Nevin. He's, he's my favourite player of all time, and again, it's a bit like when you, when you meet your idols. Yeah, I've met Pat a few times, uh, I had a wonderful evening when he was doing sort of like the commentary for Channel 5 uh, when they had sport on Thursday nights and having a wonderful evening in Pat's company in the Thistle Hotel in King's Cross and some brilliant stories. So great footballer, great man. So my all-time Chelsea hero. But in dispatches, I would have to include Ray Wilkins. I'd include Jen Luke to Rude Hullet, probably one of the best footballers I've seen, if only for one season at Stamford Bridge, and of course, Gianfranco Zola. Other other people, Osgood, Delia, um, Chelsea Harris, and then my two favourite managers has to be Eddie McCready and Mark Juan, Jose Mourinho. Indeed, I don't blame you for that at all. Good choices, by the way. And uh, last but by no means least, Mark, favourite Chelsea songs? One of my favourite songs, not not just because I'm masochistic and just like being in the second division. I love Come Along, Come Along and Sing This Song. We're the boys in blue in Division 2 and we won't be there too long. I love His Name is Tommy Baldwin. I think it's a great song, great rabble-rousing sort of Chelsea song that's been with us for years. I think one of my favourite moments singing that song, um, I went to a Chelsea pitch owner's lunch one year, I think at the Landmark Hotel at Marylebone. And we're down in the basement bar afterwards and Tommy was there and Tommy loves fans singing it to him. So we're all there singing it with Tommy. And at that time, um, it was the Chelsea pitch owners and selling certificates. And we're heading into the shed and Janet walks across from the pitch owner's office and she says, I want to have a word with you. I said, um, what did you do to Tommy last night? Said, we didn't do anything to Tommy last night. Well, you should have seen the stay he came home in. I said, well, what the same state we left him in. He said, you're barred. We said, what do you mean? She said, you're barred. He said, you're never, ever drinking with Tommy Baldwin ever again. 
I have to say, I did break, I have broken sponge. Like, you know, well, how could the sponge possibly be drunk here? Yeah, we said we bloody well was, and you ain't drinking with them. So that song sticks in my memory for that as well. Um, I also like, um, have you ever seen Chelsea win the league in reverse? Because it used to annoy me, particularly Arsenal fans seeing this whenever we played them. Have you ever seen Chelsea win the league in black and white? No, we ain't. But when we actually won it, and we could, we only sang it briefly afterwards. That you know, have you ever seen Chelsea win the league? Yes, we have. And that killed that song forevermore. So, yeah, that brief moment when we sang it, you know, if only for a few games after winning the title, you know, for that one season, loved it. And then finally, and again, it must be an Arsenal thing, um, but the only team in London with the European Cup. I love that song, especially when it goes on for a long period of time. And I think my lasting memory of it, where I really liked it, even though we lost that day, was Conte's first season. And we were 3-0 down at half-time. And Arsenal fans were singing on the concourse. Um, but then as the second half started, someone started that chant and it grew and grew and grew. And for about 20 minutes in that second half, the Chelsea fans were just singing, we're the only team in London with the European Cup. Can repeat, repeat, repeat. The only thing you can hear. And I just thought, you know, yes, what a brilliant song. Still like it now. Mark, those are fantastic uh, song choices, I have to say. Um and I remember, but I, I think that, you know, have you ever seen Chelsea win the league is a great choice, actually, because I remember uh, two years before, before we won the title, United turned up. This is in the days when the away fans would sit in the East Lower and United fans for about half an hour just sang 48 years, 48 years, 48 years, 48 years. And I thought, I fucking hate you lot. So, the, the you know, two years later when we won it, I thought you can ram that down your mank throats, mate. And it is a good feeling, isn't it? Oh, absolutely brilliant feeling. It's like, yeah, to turn such a negative into a positive. Absolutely. Well, Mark, you've turned a, a negative of the fact that there's absolutely no real football to talk about. It's a massive positive with loads of fantastic stories today. I mean, what an absolute bumper edition of my Chelsea this has been. You're an absolute trooper. Uh, and I thank you for it. And I, I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks' time when we look at uh, more 50 years of Chelsea with you. Look, looking forward to it. I'll have to go on YouTube and remind myself of some of those games. Yeah, it's going to be a bit depressing, some of those defeats we had at home that season. But again, you know, looking forward to doing it and I'll see you then if I don't see you before. Lovely. Mark, you've been a star. Thank you so much. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 